As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This is Straight Outta Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, Saint Sinoff in Rain Soap Thriller. 3-1 the theme of the weekend as the women's team best Brighton. We hear from Michael Cox, who was at Kings Meadow. And there's a sensational return. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. Happy Monday to you then, listener. We're back with another show. It's me, Matt Davis Adams, joined today by the Athletics Chelsea correspondents. First of all, Simon Johnson. Hello. And a very warm welcome back to Liam Toomey. Where on earth have you been? The most miraculous Chelsea comeback since Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Um, <laughs> I've been away uh, raising a tiny human. Um, I, I, I'm told I'm not finished yet. You know, it's a long-term <laughs> job. So, But um, yeah, I've been away for the first few weeks. It's been an absolute... Uh, what's the word? <laughs> it... It's Depends if your absolute... wife's listening as to what the word is, but yeah, go on. Oh, she's just she's just <laughs> shut the door. Um, it's been an absolute experience between the newborn baby and the puppy. Ninety-five percent of my conversations now are about poo, uh, which I, which made me think that I might actually be more useful if Chelsea had lost to Southampton and made it three defeats in a row. <laughs> uh, well, look, we're glad to have you back. I'm told that the first 18 years are the hardest. It gets much easier after then, um, etc. and so on. Uh, let's start today's pod with the first of the 3-1 wins for Chelsea this weekend as Tuchel's team saw off the Saints. Barkley, oh, clever ball. Oh, brilliant! What a sensational goal! Timo Werner tucks it in. That was magnificent. Barkley to Aspilicueta to Werner to the back of the Southampton net in the blink of an eye. A nice football weather and uh, a nice match of football. I think very entertaining from both sides and uh, of course also from us. I think we did everything to win the game. We did everything to have an exciting match. It was, uh, like I said, entertaining match of football and uh, we deserve to win. Hey Siri, show me the game that had everything. Uh, Siri would perhaps direct you to the highlights of Saturday's thriller at Soggy Stamford Bridge. 
That's just open my Siri, by the way, listener. Uh, you can close down now, Siri. I, I didn't actually mean it. Uh, okay, here are some games on the App Store, she says. Uh, that's not quite what I meant. Never mind. Plenty to do there, guys, at Apple. Plenty to do still. <laughs> the point that I was trying to quite quite laboredly make is that it was quite a good game between Chelsea and Southampton on Saturday. Uh, we had two Chelsea goals disallowed, two decisions overturned by VAR, a red card, an incredible sequence for the final goal of the game. And lots and lots of rain. Uh, I think I've just about covered it all there. I want to start with it with the VAR controversy. Uh, Liam Timo Werner, of course, had a goal ruled out. That's just what happens. Uh, the 16th time in his Chelsea career, uh, Mike Dean alerted the on-pitch ref Martin Atkinson to uh, a supposed foul by Azpilicueta way back in the build-up. What did you make of that one, Liam? Right or wrong? Well, I saw um, I saw quite a funny tweet. Uh, I feel ashamed that I can't properly credit it because I can't remember who who put it it was another journalist um was saying that they wound the action back so far that he he thought Frank Lampard might have been the manager oh it was Sam Wallace actually <laughs> Sam Wallace, the Telegraph yeah. when uh, when that move started I'm just kind of done with VAR I can't I can't actually bring myself to be seriously exercised by it and that's not just because I'm not getting any sleep anymore um <laughs> it, it's it's beyond beyond frustrating and and this season with the whole let it flow guidelines it just seems to be um code for we'll we'll just decide completely arbitrarily when we intervene and when we don't uh so you know i, I i've always sort of railed against people moaning about inconsistency of officiating i don't you're never going to get consistency but the way they're approaching it all now with when it, var steps in when it doesn't lends itself to even greater inconsistency than there needs to be. And I think Chelsea um, fell foul of it on that occasion with with Werner. Obviously worked in their favour with the Ward-Prowse red card. So that, that, that maybe feeds into the generic cliche of it evens itself out, even though it never does. But yeah, I, I, I just, it annoys me that the first question on this podcast, sorry, Matt, is about VAR. Because <laughs> um, I... Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's frustrating because I think we'd all rather just talk about football. And we will do that shortly. Little sidebar though, uh, listener, if you're an Athletic subscriber, Daniel Taylor did a very interesting interview with Mark Clattenburg last week where he, he talked about the, the dynamics between referees. And, and that I thought was interesting here, Simon. I mentioned it was Mike Dean who was the VAR. And for the, for the Ward-Prowse sending off, Atkinson goes over to look at the screen, which as we know is code for, this is getting changed from the decision that the on-field referee originally made. And almost looked apologetic as he showed... Ward-Prowse, the red card. I felt with both incidents that they got to the right decision eventually, but neither met the criteria of a clear and obvious error to overturn from the original decision from the referee, if you see what I mean. I don't, I don't know if you agree or disagree with that. Um, I, I don't agree about the red card. I think it was a red card. I, I thought it was quite a, quite a bad tackle, actually. It was, it was a rec- like sympathy for Ward Prowse because like, like you knew what there there was a chance if they stole the ball there that Southampton could have could have nicked nicked a goal obviously but yes yeah, Jorginho made a little bit you know he, he made the most of it but I thought it was quite a dangerous tackle as for the Aspilicueta one I, I thought yes yes it was a foul but how far are we going to rewind the tape um, I thought it was all about phases of play etc etc and this seemed to be quite a few phases of play before the actual goal and Southampton did have a chance to to reset 
a few more than once. Um, so whilst technically it's the right decision, I thought the whole purpose of VAR in this instance was that they only can go back to the actual phase of play where the goal is scored, not sort of rewind it back about 30 seconds. So technically it was the right call, um, but under their own guidelines, I thought it was wrong, if that makes any sense. It does. Uh, let's get to the game then. Five changes to the starting lineup. The Cobham kids all came into the first 11 after impressing off the bench in Turin. That's Chiloba, Hudson Adoy, and Loftus Cheek. Uh, Chilwell and Werner also picked from the off. They were the subject of your post match piece for the Athletic, Simon. All five of those guys actually justified their place, but obviously Chilwell and Werner got the goals to, to kind of underline that point for them. Yeah, and, and I just sort of thought what a difference those few minutes made. That's the whole point of that piece is that you could imagine if the game had stayed one all for these two guys who've, who've obviously gone through a bit of a tough time lately, how awful these two weeks would be if they hadn't found the net. Um, okay, maybe Chilwell's goal wasn't this necessary given you know Werner had put them 2-1 up. But still, even for him, his mindset... Um, it has been a really tough time for him and that tackle on Livramento, of course, sort of the, the youth product that Chelsea let go and he, he sort of was really sort of found out, found wanting there. I just thought it was, I just think for them mentally, that has given them a huge lift, a huge boost of confidence that they need, I think, going forward. And I think it's important for Tuchel as well to have these two guys in a great frame of mind. I think Werner um, with Lukaku sort of, um, going through a little barren stretch, you know, Chelsea need Werner. And I've always thought that Chilwell is Chelsea's best left wing back. I think Marcus Alonso is a is a brilliant squad player to have, but I don't think he's in form between the two of them. I'd rather have Ben Chilwell at left wing back than, than Marcus Alonso. And I just think that perhaps that goal and the manner of it, it was brilliant technique, will just sort of give Ben Chilwell the lift he needs to a kick on after the international break. Uh, let's get to some tweets from listeners. I'll put this one to you, Liam. Alex wants to know, is Chelsea's biggest advantage over other teams their strength in depth? Liverpool United lacking it. City had it a few seasons ago, but seemed to be losing it. And he points out the uh, the performances of Loftus-Cheek, Hudson-Odoi, and of course, Barkley off the bench on Saturday to illustrate his point. Yeah, I think it's certainly a big advantage that Chelsea have got over most other teams in Europe. Um, you could argue they've got too much depth. I think I think there will be times this season when, um, well, and I think we're already starting to see you know players on on the fringes not getting many minutes until the last week or so. Ross Barkley, we 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 had no idea what was happening with him and his career. Um, it's actually been quite surprising that he's come in and made some meaningful contributions. A pleasant surprise, but a surprise nonetheless. Um, I'm really really pleased to see Loftus Cheek forcing his way back into. Um, the Chelsea reckoning, you know, because when Sal Niguez turned up, it couldn't have looked less promising for him. Just an, another obstacle kind of put in his way, and uh, and he and he's been excellent. So I, yeah, I think particularly when you're talking about midfield um, and in the forward positions, Chelsea have got a ton of options beyond, I think, even the players that that Tuchel most leaned on last year, and if Tuchel is prepared to be kind of brave with his substitutions and turn to players like them, turn to players like Trevor Chaloba, then I think Chelsea have an opportunity to make real use of this squad and they've got plenty of different competitions in which to do it. 
Tuchel wanted to know about Callum Hudson-Odoi, Simon. Picked on the left wing for this game. We've been speaking about him and kind of lamenting his fall from grace and, and lack of minutes over the, the start of the season. But this was a big step forward for him, I thought. It's his best game in, in a long, long time. Yeah, he showed a bit of... Uh, I'm trying to think of what the kids... The, the phrase the kids use these days. <laughs> we, we techers? I don't know. That That... that one two backflip. Uh, stop laughing, producer Lucy. So <laughs> <laughs> Show, showing my age yet again. I mean, you're uh, asking me what the kids say. I'm nearly forty, so you don't yeah, get Liam, any help Liam, from us. Liam, what, what phrase <laughs> am I thinking of? What do they What do they call it when footballers hit the ball with the back of their foot these days? <laughs> you know, the showboat reel. You know that kind of. You know, it was. Yeah, it was. That was quality. That was. It, and and the reaction of the crowd. You know, there was a real. Whoa, um, that was the crowd sounding excited, by the way, just in case you confused his <laughs> listener. Um, <laughs> but I just thought what you had was catching. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's another COVID symptom. But um, <laughs> but no, um, no, it was it was first of all, it was positive that he was finally picked in his favourite position, um, and he was a threat. He was a threat. He, there, there were obviously times where he could have done more with the the ball that he had, and. Um, but I think overall it was very positive. And he, the, the question is, is how many times he, he needs like five, six games in a row in that in that role, and he's not going to get that, unfortunately. Um, I, I can't see it. I just think the the competition for places is is inevitably going to lead to rotation. But the positive thing is, I, th- I think you saw some signs of Tuchel. I think there was a there was a moment where. Where Callum fought for a ball right in front of Tuchel, won a free kick, and and Tuchel went went over to him and sort of gave him a big sort of round of applause and g up, and I think that's that's a positive sign because the last time I was at Stamford Bridge, very close to Tuchel and Callum Hudson Odoi, the kind of message that was being passed to him was sort of a far more negative and ferocious nature because Tuchel wasn't happy with him, so. Look, it's a it's a positive step, but that's all it is. He's got to build on this, and and hopefully he gets the chance to do that um, after the international break. When the good thing is there are Champions League and another League Cup game to play, so he should get that opportunity. Yeah, he might get more opportunities. Not looking so great for Sal. Uh, also, not looking particularly great for Kai Havertz at the moment. Here's Malachi asking: Is it just a coincidence that the absenteeism of Liam is linked to Kai's performances and lack of action? Is the problem actually Liam and not Kai or Tuchel's use of him? Uh, that, that's my natural assumption. Liam, would you like to defend yourself? I would hate to think that I'm like Samson's hair in this scenario. <laughs> I don't. Um, yeah, I have to admit, I've been a bit disappointed with Havertz in the last few weeks. You know, I I, I don't really... Un- I, I was surprised when Tuchel kind of came out and said, you know, him, him and Ziyech in particular seem to be struggling for confidence. I mean, maybe that's just a coach saying something to to put something out there that isn't, you know, too critical of his players in public. Who knows if that's actually the case or not. But if it is the case, I, I don't see why Havertz would go into this season with any sort of lack of confidence. He's, he just scored the winning goal in a Champions League final. He More broadly, he finished last season like a train. Um, he was excellent for Chelsea, much beyond that. just that game. He had a very good Euros, I thought, even as Germany kind of disappointed. So there's no reason why... Um, he should be struggling beyond perhaps, you know, the the broader 
adaptation process that's going on in that Chelsea attack with Lukaku in there. But that that's something that I think all of Chelsea's attackers are having to deal with. I know I know Havertz has maybe had the biggest position change from false nine to playing just off the front man, but he he played that role um, for Leverkusen. So again, it's not something that should be too alien to him. I, I, I do think Chelsea need, need to see more from him because we saw in the last couple of months of last season what he can do and what an asset he can be. And there have been flashes in the last few weeks, just not enough. Um, he just has to do better. Uh, Simon, as we round up on the on the Southampton game here, can't help but think it's been a brilliant weekend for Chelsea. I mean, we came into the game on, on the back of two defeats. I'm looking at the Premier League table now. Chelsea, the only team in the top six to actually win a game this weekend. They're a point clear going into the international break. They've only conceded three goals in the league, two of which were penalties. It always changes quickly in football, but but the perception now is so different to how it was on, on Wednesday night after the defeat in Turin. Yeah, I, I just I just think there was, there was always going to be, and there always is, well, after not just a couple of defeats, it was the couple of disappointing performances, a little bit of an overreaction, a um, bit of panic. I mean, it was obviously vital, and I sort of said that in the last podcast, that, that, that Chelsea do beat Southampton because the whole mood... You just knew the mood would be totally changed, and it has changed. Um, when you sort of factor in the the fixture list that Chelsea have had, I think if you'd sort of said, looked at that fixture list at the start of the season, gone right going into into the October break, um, Chelsea would have only dropped five points. I think I think Tuchel would have taken that. Um, probably the defeat may have been in his mind away at Liverpool rather than at home to Man City. Um, but all in all, yes, positive. The defensive record continues to impress. And Chelsea are scoring goals and they're not all coming from one man. Um, perhaps, you know, the, the one concern, the one major concern is is just that Lukaku suddenly is, is not scoring. But isn't it refreshing that, you know, everyone thought, oh, Lukaku's going to sort of have to score 20 up 20 plus goals. He still might have to, but... The fact that goals are coming from so many different places is really good. And I just want to quickly shout out, because just, just whilst last thing I want to sort of say about Santa game, isn't it amazing how already you see sort of Chalaba's name on the team sheet and you don't bat an eyelid, you don't sort of go, oh, there's a rookie or could be a bit of a ropey, you know, how's he going to handle it? The, the guy's just, it's just a senior squad player, isn't he? You just go, yeah, and he doesn't, he doesn't sort of show any nerves. He's just he's he's not he's not sort of got carried away with his debut. Um, I've just been really impressed with the guy. It's such a great story. I think it's already the best story of Chelsea's season. Shaloba's emergence. Wh- whose plane is that? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's my latest PCR test arriving. <laughs> they, they're keeping as much distance away from me as possible. <laughs> Havertz has paid for a plane to fly over my house going, Liam, why have you betrayed me? <laughs> um, no, I, yeah, I think I think Chaloba's the best story of Chelsea's season. He's he's come out of nowhere and as Simon says, he's played with such poise so early. And, you know, we had heard good things about what he'd done in France on loan last year, but it was it's such a big step up. And I think you can see now why Tuchel was so immediately convinced that he was ready um, and the fact that he's played in central defence and in midfield and just 
complete look completely unfazed and completely qualified for for, for each role. Um, he's a massive, massive asset to this Chelsea squad now. I think. Yeah, when we got the the team sheets on Saturday, we we kind of assumed up in the gantry that he would be playing in central midfield because it felt like a bit of an ask for Aspilicueta to play three games in in a week at right wing back. But yeah, he slotted in back into defence absolutely perfectly. So that was the game against Southampton. We'll talk about the women's team with Michael Cox next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Earlier on Saturday, Chelsea's women beat Brighton and have Albion 3-1 at Kings Meadow, thanks to goals from Guro Wright and Sam Kerr and Bethany England. The game kicked off at 11.30am, meaning it was possible to go to that and then the men's match at Stamford Bridge. Michael Cox did just that and wrote about it for The Athletic. I caught up with him earlier. Michael, first of all, did you get the sense that there were many other people doing the the doubleheader like you? Uh, There were a few. I mean, uh, Bethany England's goal went in about 10 minutes from time and that did lead to a bit of a shuffle towards the exits. But my local knowledge means that I... uh, I got the 131 bus to New Morden Station rather than going for the most obvious train station. So I wasn't able to correctly monitor it, I must say. Um, but yeah, it felt like a few. It felt like a few. And um, I, to be fair, it was terrible weather on Saturday. I mean, it was terrible weather up and down the country. So I think, I would guess there were some people who thought, well, maybe we should go to two matches. But actually, when it involves a couple of walks in torrential rain, you probably put off a little bit. But um yeah, I think um, I think there were a few. I'm just from going to to Chelsea women matches in the past. There do seem just a lot of kind of hardcore Chelsea fans who will watch any Chelsea anywhere. Probably more so than other clubs, I would think. I guess the fact that they're so successful probably helps. But uh, yeah, I think there were a few doing the same journey. And the kind of perception of going to a women's football match is that it's a family-friendly, lovely, nice atmosphere, which I think it is at Chelsea. But as you point out, it's also more of a kind of old-school football environment than than you would get at Stamford Bridge these days, for example. Yeah, I think so. I mean, even the fact that it's just £10 for a ticket, the fact you can stand up, I know, has been a, um, a major issue for a lot of people over recent years. Obviously, in the Premier League, that might be changing. There might be the return of safe standing. But yeah, there's it's a proper four-sided ground, unlike some other, you know, for example, where Manchester City play is a kind of modern, smaller version of the Etihad. This isn't. This was a ground built for a non-league side and adapted for a League One side. Um, and yeah, it, it, it does have quite an old-school feel. Obviously, the atmosphere itself is is relatively uh, gentle and relatively family friendly but in terms of the match day experience it does feel in a good way a little bit like you're going to a, a game from a few years ago rather than uh, 
yeah, rather than going to a game at some of the other women's grounds in the league. And in terms of the game itself, obviously Brighton beat Chelsea in this fixture last year and it never really looked like they were going to get a repeat of that. Do you think with the, the tactical switch to 3-4-3 that, that Emma Hayes has, has found the solution to, to the continued absence of, of Marin Mielder? Because we've seen how badly the defence struggled without her towards the, the back end of last season and obviously in the Champions League final in particular, but looking a bit more sturdy now that they've made this switch? Yeah, difficult to disagree with that. I mean, I think the fullback issue was was clearly a problem uh, throughout last season, I think particularly towards the end of the season when they were playing top-class opposition in Europe. And yeah, it does seem to work well. I mean, the the wing-backs did well. I thought Wrighton on the left was probably the, the key player. Cuthbert, we know, is, is, I suppose, more of a natural winger, but very, very hard-working and, and does the job on the right. I guess the issue really is... You know, there's so much, um, there's such a divide in the WSL between the really good sides and, and everyone else, really. And sometimes you do watch these games and think, well, maybe whatever system Chelsea played, they would have been comfortable. But I guess that's where the newly revamped Champions League comes in. And obviously a, a pretty huge game to get started this week against Wolfsburg. Um, so I'm interested to see the, the system against um, stronger sides because obviously they lost to Arsenal on the opening day, um, haven't slipped up since. But yeah, I, I think the, the reason for the system change is probably to compete better in those big games after what happened against Barcelona in the Champions League final. But yeah, it all looks pretty solid so far. Interesting to to see the way they, they, they play at the, the back with uh, Carter between the two traditional centre-backs. Um, I can't really remember seeing a side switch from four to three and playing like that before, but it seems to work quite well. And yeah, the wing backs, I think probably would be the main positive because they both look very comfortable. Yeah, we spend a lot of time talking about Kerr and Kirby and obviously they they both were involved heavily here, but was there anybody else in particular who stood out to you? You mentioned Guru Wright and who's, who's kind of been in and out in the in the couple of years she's been at Chelsea so far, but she's had a good start to this term. Yeah, um, I mean, Kirby, it's funny, you know, sometimes he... You don't realise stuff even though you see it and Kirby collected three assists here, which I hadn't really twigged because, yeah, I suppose one of them was not really a, you know, wasn't exactly a defence splitting pass. But even even when she's not quite on top form, she's just involved in everything. So she was, her and Wrighton were the star players, but I think Wrighton probably would have got player of the match for me just because she prompted so much from the left. A lot of, a lot of quick one-twos. Um, so yeah, I don't think it was a, a real top Chelsea performance. They weren't on top form, but they're relatively comfortable. Brighton, I think, were impressive in a technical way. Uh, I thought at times their passing was good, but they did also play into Chelsea's hands in terms of Chelsea pressed quite well in midfield and broke quickly. So, yeah, no no real star performances, but you'd think that Brighton has, has kind of nailed down that, um, that left wing-back slot. I mean, Anderson, you would think would be a more natural player. I think of her as a very attack-minded left-back, but um, but Wrighton, I think, is uh, does have more technical quality in the final third and, and definitely showed that here. Um, finally then, having seen them both live on Saturday and, and obviously having seen them both throughout the season, who do you think is more likely to win their respective league this season, the Chelsea men's team or women's team? <laughs> That's a very good question. Um, that is a good question. I suppose I'd probably go for the men just because I, you know, Chelsea slipped up, Chelsea women slipped up on the opening day against Arsenal and Arsenal have looked excellent so far. There's no sign that they're going to real, uh, have a dip at any point. And because the WSL season's shorter, you know, every game is more important and losing to your 
probably major title rival when you look at how Manchester City are doing is on the open day could be quite damaging to their season. Whereas I, I think Thomas Tuchel's side are just really well organised. They've had a little bit of a blip over the last couple of weeks, but um, I just think they're the most complete team in in the Premier League, probably by, by quite a long way when you look at, for example, Manchester City's weakness up front. Um, so yeah, I'd probably say the men's side, but um, I'm sure after what happened last year in the Champions League and, and them coming close to doing a double, they'll be keen to do a double in uh, league competition this time. Yep, going to be fascinating to see. Um, Michael, thanks so much for your time today. My pleasure. Thanks, Matt. Michael Cox there. You can read him only on The Athletic. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Elsewhere in Chelsea news, the under-23s lost at home to Blackburn on Sunday. Finished 1-0, Lewis Baker and Charlie Musonda both played the 90 minutes. A defeat two for the under-18s who went down 2-1 against West Ham at Cobham. Charlie Webster got the Blues goal in that one. Uh, Before we go, let's hear how many nappies Liam's going to be changing in the next 48 hours. Um, Probably about as many as my normal word count would be. Um, for a piece on the athletics so probably about 1500 i'd imagine um it's been yeah pretty it's been pretty much carnage at that end of things Um, but it'll be it'll be fun to be honest international breaks are usually major lag time for me so it'll keep me occupied at least i don't i don't tend to watch international football that much um so yeah uh, but I, what I would say, rather than, you know, I can't talk about what I'm writing because I'm not doing any bloody work at the moment. But um, I, I'll say I've, I've been really enjoying the stuff that other people have been writing about Chelsea quite recently. I enjoyed Simon's piece on Rudiger, um, Michael's piece on watching the women's team and the men's team, the athletic lover story that involves a journey, a physical journey. Um so that 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 was a that was a classic of the genre, and also uh, Katie Wyatt's excellent piece on Gura Wrighton, who's probably my favourite player for Chelsea women at the moment as a as a left footer myself. Yeah, and while we're plugging stuff uh, from journalists who aren't on this podcast, there's a good bit on Conor Gallagher and what is Conor Gallagher, written by Matt Woosnam and Tom Warville. Uh, Simon, international breaks, as Liam's alluded to, there not the journalist's best friend. Are you scratching around for stories, or is there enough to keep you busy over the next couple of weeks? There's always something to keep me busy. My own health, for one thing, um, <laughs> lack of it. <coughs> but no, uh, this week will be. Um, Focusing on two of the topics raised in this in this uh, in this podcast, um, delving into uh, Ruben's um, revival, and also just 
studying what is or what isn't happening um, regarding Romelu Lukaku and the kind of service he's getting. Um, so those two, two of the pieces we'll be working on over the next few days. Athletic.com slash Chelsea pod is the place to go to sign up if you aren't currently a subscriber. Uh, Straight Out of Cobham will return on Thursday. I'll be joined by Dominic Fifield and Sam Parkin. Until then, from Lucy, from Simon, from Liam, and from me, many thanks for your company. Speak to you soon. The Athletic.